Out of the divine mysteries within Scripture, there is none more significant than that of the nature of the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. The reason this is so is because the very salvation in which we place eternal hope hinges upon the person of Jesus Christ. He must stand in our stead as a sacrifice for sin, but he must do it in such a way that fully satisfies the perfect judgment of God. What he must do is what we can never do for ourselves. He must die, but he must do so being found to be without sin. The way that Jesus accomplishes this task is by way of what is known as the hypostatic union, the reality that the person of Jesus is fully God and fully man. This is certainly a truth that is difficult to grasp, but the Bible makes very clear to all who would read it that Jesus is the God-man. For instance, John begins his gospel in this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. With no hesitation at all, John wants us to clearly see that Jesus is eternally God, and yet took on flesh for the purpose of accomplishing God's plan of redemption. And while there are moments that show us Jesus lays aside some of the privileges afforded to him as God, for example, when he gets hungry or needs to sleep, or when he chooses not to call down angels at Satan's request, even in these moments, Jesus never lays aside his divine nature as God. The way that this union of both Jesus' deity and humanity takes place is by way of his birth. The Bible tells us that the way the Word became flesh was through the virgin birth of Mary, a miraculously divine event in itself. But why did all of this take place? Are all of these divine, miraculous moments simply the acts of a powerful God who got bored? Seriously, why did these things happen and for what purpose? In Galatians 4, 4-5, the Apostle Paul tells us, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. With just a little bit of biblical theology, we can dissect what Paul is talking about. It appears, according to Paul, that God has been waiting for just the right moment to do something that he's been planning. And Jesus' birth is the moment that reveals it. Through the birth of Jesus, God is fulfilling a promise to our first parents, Adam and Eve. That promise is found in Genesis 3.15, and it reads, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The reason this promise is so important for us is because it's the promise of God's redeeming love. Instead of destroying Adam and Eve, and by extension all of us, for their sin and disobedience, God makes a promise to crush their newfound enemy, sin and death, instead of allowing it to overcome them. In 1 Corinthians 15, 21-26, Paul helps us to put all of these pieces together when he says, For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The great hope of the believer is that Jesus Christ has put to death the enemy that we are unable to conquer. He is our one and only access to God to whom he mediates on our behalf, 
and he is our only means of atonement because of the shedding of his divine blood to cover the multitude of our sin. He has done so not because he is God and not because he is man, but only because he is the perfect union of both. As we meditate on these truths, the author of Hebrews gives us the words we are longing for. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need.